Hello nerds, welcome to another installment of A New Nerd in Nine. Today I am going to talk about the first female scientist ever hired at the company I currently work for. And I will reiterate here like I did in my very first podcast episode about my life story that this is my own personal podcast. This is not supported, endorsed, or tied to where I work in any way. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm proud of where I work. Um, and I want to recognize the progress that they have done. So my company is Johnson & Johnson. And I'm so proud of what we're doing now with the pandemic, the new shot that is out. Um, so I want to brag a little bit. And again, this is my own podcast. It's my own feeling. It's not something that I'm doing for the company or with the company. But at the same time, I definitely want to share because I think it's interesting and it's definitely influential um, to myself as a female scientist and others out there. So hopefully you will enjoy hearing this, hearing about this new nerd. So today I'm going to talk about Edith Von Kuster. Um, she was the first female scientist ever hired by J&J. &J. Uh, so let's get started. So Edith was born March 21st, 1885, and don't have a lot of information about her childhood, but we do know that she did go to college, the University of Minnesota. And at that time, which is like... 1902, but research showed that only 2.8% of women even attended college, period, in 1900. Um, and there was kind of this stereotype, it said, of women in college, like, that would turn them into quote-unquote bookworms, and that could potentially inhibit them from fulfilling what was seen at that point in time, what a traditional woman's role was in society, like getting married, caring for the family, right? Raising the household. But clearly this did not <laughs> concern Edith overly much as she did go to the University of Minnesota and she graduated in 1907 with a degree in chemistry. So if women did go to college, they typically weren't studying sciences, um, but she had chosen her path and she was quite the trailblazer. Although University of Minnesota uh, was, did have other women enrolled in classes there and had for a while, um, but she was, she was fairly new <laughs> to picking a chemistry degree in an area of study. At the time um, that she graduated, there were few women that actually worked outside of the home. And if they did, they were typically employed as teachers or nurses, maybe domestic workers or manufacturing line workers. So there weren't a lot of options. There were some, but it was still very like infrequent. So once Edith had graduated, she was teaching and she was doing some research at the University of Minnesota when the J&J &J scientific director at the time, a man by the name of Fred Kilmer, reached out to her. Um, we can't really find information in terms of, you know, did he read a research paper? Did she reach out to that, like reach out to J&J &J, where there's not, um, a record of how that came to be, but he did end up offering her a job within 
his uh, scientific department. And she became one of three staff scientists within his department. And so she was responsible for like testing raw materials that are coming in as well as research and development and working on the various testing points through the manufacturing process to kind of ensure that quality. So she did accept the role and she relocated from Minnesota to New Jersey. And today we don't really think much about relocating for work, right? It's pretty common. I've done it myself from California to New Jersey um, for this company. But at that time it was extremely rare. Uh, she was quite the trailblazer doing that as well because she was a 23 year old single woman who moved basically halfway across the country. Another interesting fact that popped up was that women scientists were so rare that when you look back at employment data of the time, like they, they don't even show up. Um, and very few women even had the opportunity to obtain science degrees. So Edith was new to the company. She was the first scientist in that scientific department with uh, Fred Kilmer. And when she joined, there were eight other women, uh, eight women in the 36 department supervisor roles, which if you think about it, it's a pretty large percentage of women working there relative to, you know, the time and employment across the board. So Edith continued working and she is cited in a book as having done research, and this probably began in, in her university time, on halogen compounds of aluminum. That work was then continued by others in like 1912, 1913, when the book was published. While Edith was at J&J, she did join the Laurel Club, which was an organization for female employees. And she was mentioned in some articles in the New Brunswick Times for her involvement in volunteer work with that organization. In 1908, she was one of the five delegates from the Laurel Club that was chosen to represent the club at a national meeting for like women employees in Washington, D.C. And this event included a reception at the White House with then President Theodore Roosevelt. Her joining J&J as a university-educated chemist probably was quite the talk around the company, um, and she did happen to catch the eye of William Johnson Kenyon, who was the nephew of the three Johnson & Johnson Company founders. Um, it said that they, you know, kind of struck up a friendship, and then things progressed to engagement and marriage. And in one of the sources, there is um, an article, like a newspaper article clipping, that talks about the romance at J&J. <laughs> um, a fun fact about Kenyon, he came up with the name in 1920 for a then new product that was invented by a cotton mill employee. And that name we are probably all familiar with is Band-Aid. After her marriage to Kenyon, I couldn't find the exact date, but she did not continue her position at the company. She did end up kind of conforming to the then Edwardian era custom of remaining home with her family. They did have three children and 
it does appear that she probably remained well informed of what was going on at the company and also probably still involved in the community as they raised the kids. She passed away July 12th, 1986. So she was 101 years old when she passed away. And I can only imagine how exciting it was for her to see the progress from when she was first hired to 1986 in terms of the company and women and women's rights and education, employment, etc. So that is the story of J&J's first female scientist. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm proud to share it and I definitely can relate to some of her adventures in terms of <laughs> getting a degree in chemistry and moving a good portion of the country to relocate for a position. So there you go. 